Grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. If you're new to the Bible and not sure where Ephesians is, feel free to go to the contents, the front part of your Bible, find Ephesians and turn there. Turn there. If it helps you, I think Ephesians is page 976 in my Bible. If that's of any help to you. Aren't you just grateful for people who God has gifted to be able to lead us in worship of Him? We are in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses or chapters 1 and 2 of Ephesians are some of, frankly, what I think some of the most exciting chapters in the Bible. Some of the most clear, straight up, instructional teaching in the Bible of what salvation is all about of what Christ is all about and what he's for. And I just want to tell you, these last uh, passages, these last sermons, should be the kind where we walk out and go, wow, yeah, God, kind of a thing. I mean, unbelievable what has been done in my life if I am a follower of Jesus Christ, if I have received Jesus Christ as my Savior. God has done all of this. He has blessed me. He has chosen me. He has, he has redeemed me. He has equipped me. He has empowered me. He has sealed me. He has given me all that I need of Him. It's not a game. He's not playing a game with us. And kind of putting the carrot out there and saying, come to me, come to me, come to me. And, and the harder you work, the more I'll give. That's not grace. And we don't come to Christ by works. And we don't continue in Christ by works. We come to Christ in grace. And because of his grace, we are allowed now to be able to do great things for him. In other words, our life is now able to bring him great pleasure. Where at once it wouldn't because of sin. And these are just the kinds of times where you look in these chapters and you just go, God so rocks. I mean, thank you. Ephesians chapter 3 is, um, just continues with that. But uh, I just want to make mention to you straight up, right up front this morning. Uh, there's different kinds of passages and different kinds of sermons. And they should go along together because the point of the sermon is to communicate the text. And sometimes you just walk away and you go, yeah, God. Other times you just walk away and you go, oh, God, thank you so much. And other times it's kind of a lament feel. And other times it's just kind of a, I am just going to charge the gates of hell with a water gun kind of thing. And, 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 other, and I just want to let you know, today is one of those days where, as I've been in this passage for the last week, I frankly never expected it, but uh, this is one of these, I'm just going to prod and push us today. Because uh, Paul uses three words to describe who he is for Christ. And when you look at these three words, I've been asking myself all week, do those describe me? We've just been covering these first two chapters and it's been talking about, this is what God has provided. And for the follower of Jesus Christ, this is what God has done in your life. And here, this text has really two potential angles. One angle on the text in the first, uh, I think we're hitting first 13 verses, if I'm going from memory here, first 13 verses is you can really just make this kind of a very heavy theological focus. And we're going to dabble in it because we have to, because he talks about the mystery. Ooh. All right. And like, what's with that? And we've got to dabble it. But I just want to tell you, normally that's where things are going. 
in this text as it's taught. But the thing that is just personal, this is just personally for me, you know, because I'm learning, I'm growing through this stuff, and I'm just like laying my life and my heart out with you each week as we go from the things that God is impressing on my heart. And this week has just been these three words of what, how Paul describes himself in light of this mystery, in light of chapters 1 and 2. So I want to start with a question of this. How serious are you about all this? How serious am I about all of this? For real. I mean, for real. Let's just cut the game. I'm not saying you're playing it, but sometimes there's a tendency to play a religious church game with ourselves. And today, I want to push and I want to prod us to kind of be like this guy here who's standing here and kind of looking back at life that's taking place on the planet. And in essence, I'm putting into his mind here the question of he's looking back and he's observing himself on this ball that's floating through space and just going, as I look at my life, how serious am I for real? For real, how serious am I? In fact, let me kind of go this way. If I were to pull out the serious about me meter, the serious about me meter, me being God, uh, where would God put you? Not you. But where would God put you? I just, I made this up. There's no passage for this. But here's the serious about me meter areas. The person who just goes, whatever. Just God, whatever. I don't really care. Just whatever. And frankly, maybe you're here today, and that's you. You know what? I'm glad you're here today. But maybe that's the reality. Maybe it's the religious without relationship. Maybe it's the, you know, I'm kind of about God. I'm kind of about the Bible. I'm kind of about these things. But you know what? The whole relationship thing with God, I just, that whole deal, let's just kind of, I don't even get it. I don't even know it. I don't even understand it. Maybe that's you today. Maybe for you it's the, where it's the grace alone by faith alone in Christ alone. You've come to know Christ as your Savior, and you say, that is me. I know Christ is my Savior. But maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. And maybe it has an advance beyond that. Maybe you're one who says, you know what, I have come to Christ through faith, by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. And I tell you, Doug, just as I stand back, look, I really am. Just by God's grace, by the Spirit of God working in my life, I am growing as a worshiper and as a walker and a worker for Christ. And I just want to say, rock on, man, for God's glory. And then there's kind of the totally sold out, full bore, bring it on. I'm just like totally crazy as the rest of the world would see. The point is, is where are you honestly right now? are you let's take a look at three words that will help us to understand and think about where we're at but let's pray before we get going god we need your help this morning we need your help because uh, none of us have arrived we do look forward to arriving uh Uh, We do so look forward to seeing you face-to-face one day. That is going to happen. Whether we're in the whatever category or we're in the crazy, out-of-control-for-Christ category, we're going to stand before you. And we look forward to that. But right now, we're here. And we have an incredible opportunity. An incredible opportunity to be people that are burdened for you. That are burdened about your truth. People who are so burdened that we do something with it. We don't just hold it, but we go for it. 
Because there's nothing better. God, I just pray we'd be the kind of people that our lives are just available to you to do whatever you want. Lord, help us in this passage today just to be not enamored by the Apostle Paul. That, that, that would be a, a false focus here today. But to be challenged by him and how he views you and how we look at him and go, you know what? Those are characteristics I want to be see, taking place in my life. Lord, I thank you so much. There are so many people here this morning that are just cranked up for you and are growing in you, they're seeking to love you, and they just want to just be your kind of man and be your kind of woman. Oh, God, what a delight to be here. Do great things in this city. Do great things in our lives. In your name, amen. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. What are the first three words? For this reason. Now, for this reason means something's tied to what was just said. Okay? Something was before. By the way, let me just make a note here. As you look in chapter 1, verse 15, it says, for this reason. Then you look in chapter 2, verse 11, it starts with, therefore. Then chapter 3, for this reason. Then in uh, chapter 4. Uh, 3 verse 14 for this reason chapter 4 verse 1 therefore why am i bringing up these oftentimes missed words and statements because of this understand this all that paul is saying is flowing together paul is not going here's a statement boink here's a statement badump here's a statement i don't know what a new sound is you know, he's not just kind of going doot, 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 doot. He is joining these all together. And there is a flowing thought that goes through. So when we look at this and we see for this reason, we ask the question, what reason? The answer, chapter 2. Chapter 2, if you remember, if you've been here, is talking really about three things from kind of two different angles. Three things. The first one is talking about how all have been separated from God because of sin. All of us at one point are alienated. We're strangers. We're aliens. We're complete sinners. Total depravity before a holy God. And wow, I wish that wasn't the case. But that's the truth. And everyone is at that point but God. In verse 4, chapter 2. And then later in chapter 2, it says, But now, when he's directing it at the Gentiles, But now through Christ, redemption, reconciliation, the separation that was, can now be brought together for their person who comes to know Christ as their Savior, the one who forgives them of their sins and in him alone. And that person can come back to Christ, uh, to God, because of Christ. And thirdly, because of all that, we have the opportunity to be able to live for him. To be able to live for him. One of these days I'm going to get this clicker right. Because I think I just pushed a whole bunch. Um, can we go back to where it's blank? For this reason. For this reason, I, Paul... Because of salvation, because of what God has done for me, even though I don't deserve it, because of this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. We're going to be coming back to that towards the end. That's just crazy. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. We'll get there. Oh, I still want to go there. We'll get there. Verse 2. I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard, uh, as he's talking, assuming that you have heard, I understand that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul talks about himself here using the term stewardship, someone caring for that which belongs to someone else. He's a steward. 
A steward doesn't own what he has. He, he, he can't give um, uh, arrogant pride in himself for what he has. He never started it. He's just the one caring for it. He's been granted it. Uh, a stewardship of what? Look at what it says. A stewardship of God's grace. We, we went with Larry and Denise Woods to Cedarville to visit our daughter and his son, um, yesterday and we were talking in the car for a while just about this god's grace thing and earlier this week had a conversation with my son about grace it's just so cool when your kid talks about it sorry but we're talking about this and it's just like god's grace is something that is undeserved When we get Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, and we look at what God has done for us, folks, if we don't just sit back and just, like, don't know what to do, we're not getting it. He is a steward of God's grace. And all through this book, it talks about grace. The Apostle Paul is enamored by the reality of grace, undeserved riches, placed upon him and he's a steward of that of god's grace and it would notice it was given to him he didn't go after it it was given to him he didn't earn it it was given to him and look it was a stewardship for others it was a stewardship of god's grace given to him for you for the ephesians for the believers in ephesus for the believers in asia minor Uh, Paul is saying, I've been given this thing that is intended to be given upon to you. Not just held within myself, but something that's given. He keeps going, verse 8. And he describes it some more about the stewardship. Verse I'm sorry, verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. Now, here's this mystery. Everybody go, ooh, or even kind of got my high girly in there. Good job. This mystery. Aren't you just like excited about what? There's a mystery. I mean, I used to love when I was younger watching Columbo. You know, just the mystery of what's going on, him getting in his car and his whole cigar thing and then walking out the door and then, oh, got a question. You know, and he's trying to figure out the whole mystery of what's going on. And Paul talks about he's been given a mystery. Woo! Right? Thank you, babe. Okay. Someone supporting me here. Okay, in this mystery thing, what is the mystery? Well, a mystery is a secret. It actually, here realistically, the term could be interpreted in interpretation, saying it's a sacred secret. Hey, listen, Paul was given a sacred secret. Hey, I got a secret for you. Aren't you aren't you just excited to know what it is? Maybe not. Well, tell me more about this sacred secret. Okay. Uh, he wrote about it briefly. Well, it was either in a prior letter or right before. I think it's what he's talking about right before, uh, previously. Uh, verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. So it's a mystery that he has some insight into. Okay. Uh, verse 5, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. So it's a mystery that he's become privy to. He has insight on it was something that was not known before uh, to the sons of men. Sons of men really is a big generic term kind of for mankind in other generations, as has now been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the spirit. Okay, We're learning some of this. It's something that wasn't revealed. In essence, I'll put it this way. It was out there, but it wasn't clear until now. I got a sacred secret to tell you. And Paul's talking about, well, what is this blessed secret, Doug? Okay, let's go. Here we go. Verse 6. This mystery is, here's what he says. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. But every time I read that word, this is not in my notes in high school. 
I just moved to an area where we're meeting in a Bible study in someone's home. There's like about 30 kids crammed in this home. This wonderful couple just leading a Bible study with teens from high school, and the kids are just eating it up. And so I went and was there, and they asked me to read a passage. I don't remember this one, but I remember when I read it, and I read it, I read it as hairs, and I got laughed at. And I'm not bitter about it either. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs is one thing. Members of the same body and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Three things he says. Gentiles is directed at Gentiles. So this mystery has something to do with the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? Everybody else on the planet at that time except for the Israelites, the Jews. Okay, that's everybody else. That's us. Okay? Today. Uh, and three things about them. They're fellow hair, <laughs> fellow heirs. They are members of the same body, and they're partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Isn't that wild? <laughs> oh, some of us nowadays, seriously, some of us read that and go, that's it? I mean, like, that's the secret, sacred secret? I don't quite get it, Doug. Well, really, I understand what you're talking about. Okay, and, and that's a good reality statement. But let me... Let us think back, okay? Because listen, this was huge. And it has huge implications for you and I today. In fact, you may have questions like, why do a lot of churches think different kinds of theological viewpoints? Much of it comes back to this issue, okay? So what am I talking about? Well, it may seem like no big deal for us. Uh, But for 2,000 years prior to Paul writing this, understand that since the time of Abraham, the Jews and the Gentiles, they were different categories of people. They were classified as different categories. There was the Jews and there was the Gentiles. And the Israelites were God's sovereignly chosen people. They were given a promise. They were to be a nation like no other nation that was to impact all the other nations. Uh, They were to be a nation where God was their king, and not a human, if you will. But God was to be their king. They were to be a set-apart nation, living under the covenant that God had put for them, which made them completely different than everybody else in how they lived. They were established to become a nation of priests, or we could say a nation of pastors to the whole world. Okay? So Israel, in the beginning, God chose these people to be a spouse. Why them? Because God had kid. kid, God did. (laughs) Because God did. He chose them to be his people, to be in this place. And there was a very special thing about it. But Israel just vacillated. You go through the Old Testament. This is Israel through the Old Testament. And they're just up and down and up and down with God. And, And they're all over that serious about God meter thing. I mean, they're over to the whatever, they're to the on fire, they're here. It's just all over the place with what's going on. And they did not become a nation unlike other nations. They didn't even care for their own poor and their own hurting. I think when you look at the Old Testament, that was one of the things that put God over the top with them. They did not care for the poor and the hurting. And as a nation, they did not pursue God as their king because they became self-righteous. They became legalistic. And they literally perverted the call on their lives. And all that culminated to the point where they rejected the very Messiah they were yearning for God to bring. Not only did they reject him, But they crucified him. But God was not surprised. Uh, His prior administration plan of using Israel to reach all the tribes and tongues and nations um, changed. It, it, It became a new administration and God took himself to include the Gentiles in his plan. Something different. And so he made the Jews and the Gentiles equal. At the foot of the cross, the Jews and the Gentiles became equal. (laughs) And they became both partakers of the promise of Christ. And understand this. 
That was scandalous to a Jew in that day. I mean, the Gentiles were the dogs. It would be, every time you try and make a correlation, it misses. But I've thought through this, and it would be like, in essence, if we were God's promised people, and then all of a sudden God told us, oh, by the way, Al-Qaeda is included. Excuse me, God, but have you had like a bad day? Or what's going on with this? I mean, it was just literally this whole massive... Uh, uh, just for a Jew, just threw them completely out of kilter. And even Jesus' own disciples struggled with this reality. I mean, when you see them after Acts chapter 2, God's intent would that they would go and start reaching the nations. Acts 1.8, therefore go. Matthew says, therefore go. And then Acts 1.8 talks about first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, and then Samaria, and then the whole world. But the disciples didn't want to get out of their little territory, what they were comfortable with. They were comfortable with being with Jews in their little town around people like them who thought like them. And God had to bring someone along and help bring them out. And God brought Paul to help bring them out. There's a whole lesson in that whole thing, folks. We cannot become just our own little group of people. Just loving to be with us because I'm so comfortable. You see, I'm so comfortable with white, middle-ish class people. I can relate to them. Another sermon, another day. But this is huge. So the whole thing of this mystery being that God has now put in place and included the Gentiles, and they're at the same, they're at the same place. That's the mystery. And I'm really grateful for it, folks. Because we're part of those dogs. We're part of the dogs that God, is, by his grace, has brought in, and we're at the foot of the cross. We are equal. I believe God has a plan, for a special plan for Israel in the future. He's going to finish his plan out with them. But right now we're part of that, and all praise God for it. Now, some, two important points about the mystery. Bible interpretation implications. Oh, my, we could spend the whole time on this, but real quick this. God's plan for Israel and what his, his new plan, the mystery, was for the church, the body of Christ. Two terms that are referring to the same thing. God made a new administration where Jews and Gentiles could come to Christ and minister to everybody, and it's all the same, you're you're all equal. And God calls that the church, the capital C church, the body of Christ. And then you have Israel in the old administration, the old dispensation plan that God had. And when we look in the Bible, why don't we do sacrifices here? Well, because Christ died on the cross. Okay, I'm with you on that. Well, why don't we do all these other kinds of things that were done in the Old Testament? Because the administrative plan has changed. And God's directions for us are different than those under the prior administration. In fact, there's a verse that oftentimes comes out in times of war, out of Chronicles. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will heal their land. I will bless them and heal their land. Folks, that was not a promise to America. That was a covenant promise to Israel. And while God does bless when people repent, that verse was not a promise to us. That was a promise to Israel. And that's what I'm talking about. Oftentimes we look back and we have to decipher the promises to Israel and the promises to the church. There are principles that can be learned, but promises are different. And that's where I want to leave it. You may be going like, what is he talking about from here? Uh, come and we'll talk some later. Do some more study. But I want to get to some of this thing. Here's the deal. Paul was given this new administration on his shoulders. Boy, that kind of fits with his political time right now. This new administration is on Paul's shoulders to be moving out and impacting the world. And look at how, let's look at how Paul talks about himself with this new responsibility of which P.S., by the way, is our responsibility. The mystery includes us and the mystery is the gospel that we know today. All people come to Christ by faith. 
by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. And so as we come to this, I just say this. Number one, the word that we look at here already up on the screen is as a steward. Paul talked about he was a steward, someone who is given something and has a sense of responsibility with it. And I just have this question. Do you feel the burden for what has been put on you because of your salvation through Christ? Do you have a burden? Do you have a burden? Because I'm just going to tell you, I'm really concerned about me. I'm really concerned about the church. I'm just going to talk about in America, we have just become fat cats with the gospel in Christ. And we have been given so much grace. And then we just sit on it. And glory in it. And it wasn't intended to be left at that place. Yes, it's intended to be effective upon your life and upon my life. But it's intended to go beyond that. I am a steward of something. And just the only way I can think about it, do I feel that burden as a steward? Do you? Listen, I want to tell you, a lot of people here do. One of the great blessings we have here in this church, and Harvest, Big Harvest knows about it, they've talked about it, is this Harvest plant has more people that get it, as we term it, than almost any other plant that's taken place in the last three years out of Harvest. More people get what's going on. They understand why we're doing ministry and how we're doing ministry and what it's about and where we're trying to go. More people get it. And I'm telling you, we are blessed, blessed, blessed with that. And there is a burden here. But when we sang that song earlier, God of this city, God, bigger stuff. Man, I'm just getting less and less concerned about if people think there's a pride behind you guys want to do more yeah because we're stewards god has made us stewards and we can't sit we can't sit in fact let's just all stand up for a minute God didn't intend us to be sitters for Christ. Right? God didn't intend for us just to sit with his grace. God has made us stewards. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, yes, he has forgiven you. Yes, he has redeemed you. Yes, he has reclaimed you. Yes, he has sealed you. And yes, he has given you a responsibility. Go ahead and sit down. No, 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 go ahead and sit down. <laughs> I, Paul, prisoner for Christ Jesus, Paul names himself as a steward. Verse 7 Of this gospel, I was made a minister. Not only was he a steward, but he names himself as a minister. This is a very interesting word. The word here in Greek is diakonos. The word is the same Greek word for deacon. The word, in other words, Paul is saying, I am a deacon of the mystery, of the gospel, of God's grace. All of these terminologies are talking about the same thing. The, the, the good news of Jesus Christ made effective upon those who come to him as their savior, available to the world. 
And he says, I am a servant. Deacon is a serving person. Now, I don't know what your experience is in church background, but for a lot of you, you have deacons, have had deacons in churches where kind of the view was, is I'm a deacon and therefore I have power for decision making. Ugh. A deacon in the Bible was someone who served, who served tables. I'm just going to let you know here at this church, after the first year that we get started, we begin uh, putting together elders and deacons. And I just want to let you know, deacons around here are going to be all about serving, not decision making. You don't see deacons making decisions in the scriptures. And Paul isn't talking about how his fact that he was a decision maker Paul is talking about he was a servant, a servant minister. And he was made a servant minister. He didn't look for it. He didn't earn that as well. He was the lowest of the lows, he said earlier. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which is given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, the lowest of the lowest saints. You're kidding me. Paul says he's the lowest of the lowest saints. Yes. Do you remember when Paul was Saul and Paul hated Christians and killed them and God grabbed him when he wasn't even looking for Christ? And Paul never forgot what he used to be and always gloated in what he was because of Christ. He was the lowest of the lowest saints. Grace extended should result in humility. It was given to him with an expectation of action. Notice this, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles. To preach what? The unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Now, not only is he preaching it, but he's trying to bring it to light. Verse 10, so that through the church, that's the body of Christ, the the new administration plan, that through the church, of which we are a part of, God would show something. Look at this. This is so cool. I mean, this gets into Freakyville. Okay? Just watch. I'm serious. I don't know if you've thought about this, but this one really hit me this week. Cool stuff. Listen to this. Verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. The manifold. Now, guys, ladies who have worked on cars, the manifold. You know, it's that thing that's kind of like air comes in and shoots it in different areas. Manifold, it's the extending. It's the multiplying. It's the multifaceted. Okay, God wants to show his multifaceted wisdom. To who? Look at this. He wants to show the multifaceted wisdom of God. might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, who is this talking about? I think this is talking clearly about angels and talking about fallen angels get this it it would be like this the angels uh, are been created and they're actively involved in but they're kind of watching what's going on on earth okay They're, they're taking a little break here just for a second okay and as they watch what's going on on earth They're looking and they're seeing all this stuff taking place. And they knew the prior administration where God was working through Israel and to reach the world. And and then they're saying, remember, angels are not omniscient. Okay, a lot of times, sometimes we give angels more credit than they actually have. And we think that they know everything. They don't. And by the way, the scriptures say later on, we're going to be higher. People who are saved in Christ are going to be higher than the angels. Really cool thing to think about. But um, anyway. Okay, so here they are. They're looking at what's taking place, and they see over the course of history God having worked through prior administrations. And now Paul is talking about this mystery, this thing where the plan changed. God brings the Jews and the Gentiles together as one to reach the world. And they're sitting back going, look at that. Whoever would have thought of that? You are kidding me. God, you're something. (laughs) 
You are kidding me, God. You, you made a whole new structure, a whole new administration, and a whole new plan of how you're going to reach the world through the dogs? And God's going, yep. And they're like, dude, you are really, like, cool. No, it'd be more like this. You are wise. Your wisdom is so multifaceted. I cannot even grasp it. That's what the angels are saying. Oh, and by the way, P.S., that's what the demons are observing. Oh, man, we're on the wrong team. Because he's got multifaceted wisdom. (laughs) But it's too late for them. Uh, and if you want to do some more study on it, go back to Job chapter 1 and take a look at what was happening. God was having a discussion with Satan. And he, God was saying to Satan, look at my man Job. You see my man Job? How faithful he is? Why would that be important to Satan? Because Satan was not faithful to God. And he comes in and says, look at my man. And Job didn't know this from everything we can see. He had no idea this was going on. And God's up there with Satan. Just Job was a ministering testimony to Satan of what it meant to live for God. And I just said, have you ever thought about this reality? That you and I, people who know Christ as their Savior and are part of the church and part of God's plan, living for him. There are angels and there are demons and Satan himself out there going, look at those guys. God is wise. And we're just so often this way. Aren't we? we just think what's right in front of us. Think about it. You have a chance this week to be a living testimony to the heavenly beings. Interesting. Verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus. In other words, this purpose, God is not, there's what's called uh, an open view of God, where God created everything, and then he stands back and just goes, let's see what happens. Hmm. 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 And someone shoot this fly. Um, And he's just looking around and, That's not at all the case. God knows exactly what's happening. And God isn't making it up as he goes. God knows exactly what's going to take place. And his whole redemptive plan is to point to him. And you and I are a part of that reality. That he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through him in faith. Listen, that verse just bl- should blow us out of the mind because in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we were separated. You remember that? A couple weeks ago, we were in the pit of despair. And we were separated and we're walking around in all this kind of pit of despair without Christ and the sin and no hope and without God. And here it now, it says we can boldly, humbly, and appropriately approach God in boldness through Christ with a sense of confidence. Listen, he is my God. He is my God. And this is true. This is true. I don't care what you think. This is true. He's my God. And bring it on. He was a minister. He was a servant minister. Here's my question here. Um, Am I making Christ known? That was clearly the focus of this part of this passage here. Uh, Am I making Christ known? I just a couple thoughts I had here and thinking this out. Number one, I just want to thank so many here who are part of serving here in so many ways. We got people coming in here at like 2 a.m. in the morning to get it's not, but it's like seems like it to get things set up and things going on. We got people who are serving in kids ministries. We got people who are just you know worship team practicing. We got just people just serving in small groups. It's just oh my word, it's so cool. And yet at the same point, I want for us to understand that that is part of what this body is about and helping and growing each other. But let's not lose sight of the reaching out to those who are lost as well. It's taking the gospel. It's being a servant minister outside of just in here. And let me just get really personal for a moment. Husbands, are you known in your home as a servant minister? If you aren't, you've got some changing to do. And how do you want to know? 
Ask your spouse. Ask your kids. Hey, honey, does daddy seem like a servant around the house? They'll let you know. Uh, By the way, wives, are you a servant minister in your home? Singles. I just love it when you guys sit together. Singles. You guys are to be servant ministers just in your character to everybody, as is everybody else. I mean, this is about serving, and especially guys. I want to tell you, guys, let's step up to the plate because guys are generally lazy. Guys in life are generally lazy, and women are generally critical. (laughs) I'm dead serious. That is just a pattern Karen and I have observed over the years of ministry so far. Men are generally lazy in their spiritual life, generally lazy in their relational life, generally lazy in their post-work life. And women oftentimes just get really critical about how men are really lazy. (laughs) We're going to be talking about parenting and marriage uh, down the road. Let me just say real quick, because I'm way over here, reaching out. Comments sometimes to other people who don't know Christ. I don't have any un- unsafe friends. Well, go get some. Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen, twenty. Therefore, go and make disciples. If you don't know people around you who are without Christ, go get some. By the way, multitask. Parents with kids, some of the greatest tool we found growing up was growing up as a parent was with our kids and the, the tie with other people. Get to know people who don't know Christ. Yeah, but I want to be around the holy huddle. Yeah, so did Israel. And look where it got them. Okay? So listen, get out. I don't, I don't have any answers. Go get some. I don't have any time. Okay, how about less, four, less than four hours of TV at night? Okay. Ooh, ouch. Um, uh, proclaiming, I don't want to offend anyone. Well, the gospel is offensive. I, I don't know all the answers. So no, I don't either. But listen, you do know your story. With a demon-possessed man who Christ healed as he crossed the Sea of Galilee, what did he tell him to do? Go home and express the theological positions of the prior dispensations? Go home and tell them what the Lord has done for you. Just start doing God talk. Start practicing. Just talking about God and spiritual things in your home and outside your home. I don't know all the answers. Yeah, whatever. I'm still trying to win them over with my lifestyle. Great. Now speak. How will they know unless they hear? I'm waiting for an opportunity. Hey, why don't you just pray for obedient boldness? The opportunities are there. I guarantee it. The harvest is plentiful. Serving. I'm not really comfortable in a small group, so... Who's it about? But part of the purpose of small groups is living life together and being in a small group to minister to other people. I'm not a member of Harvest yet because I've heard Harvest requires members to serve in children's ministry. Ugh. We're one of the only churches I know that when you become a member, we expect you serve in a capacity. And I knew when I put that into place, we'd have people who would say, I don't know if I want to do that because that means I've got to serve in kids' ministries. Kids just aren't my thing. And plus, I'm going to miss two out of six weeks serving with the kids. That's not diakonos. That's not a serving minister. I'm just so grateful for people who are just serving our kids and just do it even when they don't really want to but they do it for Jesus let's finish because I'm way over as a steward as a minister and last as a prisoner verse 1 chapter 3 for this reason I Paul a prisoner for Christ Jesus I want to tell you that is to me just the most bizarre statement and it's bizarre because of this the Apostle Paul was at the, he was five, he's now about five years in prison when he said this. He had been in prison for about two years in Caesarea and three years in Rome. 
So why didn't he say, I am a prisoner for Rome? I'm a prisoner of Rome. Because he was. He could have said, I'm a prisoner because of the Jews. You see, because it was the Jewish leadership that accused him incorrectly of being someone who brought a Gentile into the temple area and led to this whole mess. And he could have said, I'm a prisoner because they ripped me off. He actually could have said, I'm a prisoner out of my own retardation. Because I could have gotten out of it a while ago. But I said, I want to appeal this to Rome. And he was there out of his own legal choice. And yet he says, I am a prisoner for Christ Jesus. (laughs) This is a man who is not bound in circumstances. He is bound in seeing life through Jesus and the eternal purposes that come out of that. He was a prisoner. And likely we may not be prisoners as he is in house arrest. But I'm talking about, am I seeing eternity in my circumstances? Are you? In our small groups, we're we're working on something. I told the guys in my small group, the thing I'm starting to work on is the aspect of, I have just noticed over time, for literally years now, that when I observe my schedule and something that I, don't, I haven't personally planned for comes up, man, I get frustrated within myself. Like, pff, ruin my day. I'm like, I'm a pastor. Are you kidding me? That's what my job is supposed to be about. Availability to people. And I'm sitting here. Here's what I walked away with this week. I do not see my schedule and my time as truly God do whatever you want with it. And just as your pastor, I'm really working to grow and change in this. And I have been shocked by working on my thinking in the last two weeks as things have come up. It's just delightful. (laughs) In all these years, I've just been a fool. A selfish person with all this stuff. What about you? How do you see your circumstances? Are you so bound up in your circumstances? Man, who's going to be the next president? (laughs) Come on. Do vote. But God already knows. That's not the issue. The issue is how are you seeing your circumstances. Well, real quickly, wrong ideas about hardship. God doesn't want believers to have hardships. That's bad theology. Hardships mean that you're out of God's will. Um, Not always true. Hardships are out of God's control. Completely untrue. Hardships are punishment for my sin. Well, there there are consequences of sin. But Job didn't sin. Now, can I just say, talk to Joseph, talk to Job, talk to Daniel, talk to Paul, talk to the disciples who were martyred. And how about talk to Jesus? Trials are for God's glory. God does not allow anything to come our way that is bigger than he knows we can handle. Trials are designed for my growth by God. To help me become more like Christ. Romans 8, 28, 29. Trials provide and prepare us for ministry to others. Some of you have gone through trials just for the purpose of someday God's going to use that to be able to minister to other people who are going through similar trials. We're working with some people right now 